just so we can let you know a little bit about who we are, about our values and our beliefs, what the chapel does. We exist to help people to move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And uh, we want to help you to know what that looks like for you. So a couple ways to do that. One, if you text the word guest to the number up on the screen, uh, we'll send you back a link and it'll just ask you for, for some basic information. Or in the worship program that you were handed on your way in this morning, inside of there is a connect card and you can use that connect card. Um, again, you can write down your information and just put it in one of the giving boxes on your way out. And if you are a guest with us for the first time, Please stop by the Welcome Center on your way out because we have a bag that we would love to give you just as a gift for you. It has some information about us, has some coffee in it, uh, and we, we just want you to have that this morning. Uh, before we get started, a, a couple things to let you know about. One, it, it's, it's an orange weekend, right? I see a lot of you are wearing orange, thank you. Uh, some of you are wearing your Browns gear already, just anticipating, you know, the frustration of this upcoming Browns season, you know what's going to happen, all right? Uh, but the whole idea of orange, uh, like we heard earlier, is, is taking the heart of the home, which is red, and the light of the church, which is yellow, and mixing them together, and you get orange. That's our philosophy of ministry. And our family ministry is just doing some incredible stuff. So uh, I want to share some words from Jen Rawson, who's our family ministry director, says that we've been able to watch God do some amazing things this past month in the lives of our kids and students. Through your generosity, we were able to financially help send over 200 kids and students to camp this summer, and that's just absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, please, that's awesome. So 47 high schoolers spent the week at BGSU where seven students were baptized. 46 middle school stu students went to Indiana Wesley University. Over 30 of them rededicated their lives to Christ, and 100 of our chapel kids went to Beulah Beach where one of our chapel high schoolers was even a camp counselor. So that's so cool to see um, different generations working together. And here's, here's a few things that some of our high school students had to say about their time at camp. Uh, one, I learned that you don't need to build your faith by yourself. I learned that if I just sit quiet and listen, I can hear God speak to me and tell me what I need to know. I'm no longer angry, and I don't judge people anymore. I want to be more patient and loving towards my sisters. I'm going to do better to share the gospel and want to set a daily goal to read at least one chapter of the Bible. I'm going to put out more of my, I'm going to put more of my time with God into in, more of my time into God, such as reading the Bible and setting an example for others to do the same. I want to listen to more gospel-focused music, Christian music, and act more like a Christian by reading the Bible and doing devotions. I will remind myself that God is always with me. I'm going to sit in silence and speak to God every night. I will always spend some time with God before I go to sleep. And it says here, I think before, I only prayed when I wanted something from God, but he's not a crutch, and I'm not going to treat him that way anymore. It's just absolutely incredible to hear these young people. And I loved at the end of that video we saw earlier, it said, we are not the next generation, we are the now generation. And it is, it is these young people who are leading the charge of the gospel and this church alongside of us, and I'm so grateful for that. And then lastly, before we get into the, the message in John today, we have a Beulah Beach Father-Son Retreat coming up next weekend, and I just want to take a minute before we, we go into the message just to pray for that retreat. So would you, would you pray with me? Father God, this morning it's so, so incredible to see how you are working, God, in, in families through the chapel, and we are grateful for what you are doing. And God, as this, as this weekend comes up, 
and dads and sons are going to be together. I pray that it would be an incredible time of relationship building, God, with each other and also with you. God, um, for those students and kids who spent weeks at camp this summer, I pray that that would be something that continues on. God, that that would be a spark that ignites a flame in their life, God, that, ignite, that, that fuels passion for you, Jesus, and that they would follow you with all that they are. God, at this time, I ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds to know your word and what you're calling us to do from it. In your name, amen. All right, so we are continuing our series in the book of John, and we are in John 15 this week. And this passage in John 15, this chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And really, what we're going to be talking about today has formed a lot of my theology, what I believe about Jesus, and has formed a lot of my life. In fact, so much, I had my daughter draw this, she's an incredible artist, I had my daughter draw this, this branch, and then I had it tattooed on my hand. And now, I'm not advocating for tattoos, okay? Just because I make dumb decisions doesn't mean you should make dumb decisions, all right? And besides, once you get a tattoo on your hand, that really limits your career opportunities. I think you can just be a tattoo artist or a pastor. That's all that's left, okay? Um, but I see this sort of as a reminder, and, and like I said, this has been formative in my life and in my theology, and part of it is because I spent, I spent time in a class with a guy named Rick Lawrence, who is an author and a speaker, and he wrote this book called Jesus-Centered Life, and it really talks a lot about attaching ourselves to Jesus, who calls himself the vine in John 15. And I'm not promoting the book or anything, but if you're interested in seeing you know, what it's about in their website, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you there. But, but yeah, a lot of that was so important. And I think that John 15, what Jesus talks about in these first eight verses, is essential to becoming more like Jesus. So I am pleading with you this morning to focus in on these words. And now, the format of the message is going to be a little bit different. As you came in this morning, you received a, a sheet of paper that says soap at the top, and you might be wondering, what is this all about? Well, we're going to use this soap method as a way to study God's Word, and we're going to use this method to help understand God's Word this morning. So um, this, this method is something that you could use every day as part of your, your chair time, your, your quiet time with God, and it stands for this, uh, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So soap can be applied to any portion of Scripture. Uh, this, today we're going to be looking at John 15, 1 through 8. And then observation is a matter of being a good investigative reporter. It's asking questions like who, what, where, when, why, how, understanding the context of the passage. And then the application is what is the intended meaning of the text? What did the original author intend? And how or does it apply to us today? And then lastly is prayer, is prayer. Here we ask the Lord for guidance and help living out what we just read. And before we look at this passage today, I think it's always good whenever you open God's word uh, to pray, you know, and maybe pray something like this, you know, Lord, here I am with your word open before me. Would you please make yourself known to me and use this time to shape me more like Christ? Would you open my heart, open my mind to understand your word? So let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It's on the soap paper. If you don't have it, feel free to use your Bible or the YouVersion app or the Dwell app. But it says this. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything that you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Wow, there is so much in there. And, and so we want to take some observations, right? Like a good investigative reporter asking some questions. Uh, first one, I think, is, is there any, is there repetition of any words? That's something to pay attention to in Scripture. Uh, what was something that interested you? What popped out? What was something that surprised you? What was something that bothered you that you didn't like that maybe you don't agree with? How does this match some of your life experiences? What is something in here that may have challenged your thinking? Is there anything in the passage that you don't fully understand that you maybe need to look more into? And this is very individual because your observations might be completely different from mine. We all think differently. But I want to share a few that I, that I pointed out, or I found out. First one, Jesus says that I'm the true grapevine. And so something jumps out to me when I see this, because if he's the true grapevine, well, then that implies that, that, that there is another kind of vine, a false grapevine. So what does that mean, and what does that mean for us? Another observation says that, uh, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Now, I am no botanist, okay? I'm pretty indoorsy, right? I'm, I can grow mold, and that's about it. I'm not good at gardening. Um, so the idea kind of pruning kind of bothers me, right? I feel like it's just messing up the plant. Just like, let it go. Because if you look out in nature, like plants are just, they're doing really good. You know, you look at a forest, nobody's out there pruning it, and it's just, they're killing it, right? And so like, just, just leave it alone because I feel like it's messing with the plant, but I found out that pruning ultimately helps the plant. So on this, on this tree, if any of the branches were, were crossed over and rubbing each other, that makes it more susceptible to disease and infestation. Or if a branch is growing the wrong direction, or if it's dead, if it's not contributing to the tree, then it's time for pruning. So ultimately, pruning helps the plant to keep growing and to be healthy. Now it says that God is the gardener, and so he's going to prune things in our lives. And he doesn't prune in order to punish us. He prunes out of love. He prunes for health. He prunes out of knowing what it takes to help us become more like Jesus and produce fruit. Now, this is an ongoing process, and if I'm honest, it can be painful because there may be some things in your life that God is allowing, and you may not like them, right? But I love this quote from Matt Carter who says, God's commitment to your fruit-bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort, right? We love 
comfort. We spend a lot of our lives, a lot of our resources trying to be comfortable, at least I do. And so when God allows discomfort in my life, my first thing to do is to, to push back against that. And now another observation. Jesus says the word remain or abide, depending on the version that you have, and it is repeated 10 times. So if a, fr- if a, if a word is used in Scripture, it's important. If it's repeated twice, uh, it's, it's something to think about. If it's repeated 10 times, you better pay attention. So the word remain it means to continue to stay or exist in a place when all else has ceased to exist. You stick in it. Or abide means to accept or act in accordance with. And so here's why this is in there. Because Jesus says, those who remain or abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we give our lives to following Jesus, right, When we turn away from our sin, we start following Jesus, we have placed our faith, our trust in him. It says that Jesus' life begins to flow through us. It says that when we accept Jesus, his Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and work through us. And so through this, we have a new heart, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And and so we have a new heart, we have a new power or strength to serve. We have the ability to trust Jesus. We have the desire and the will to tell others about Jesus. We have the strength to endure hardships, to endure pruning. We have a new power to say no to temptation, and we have a desire to live our lives for him. And if we disconnect from him, we lose all power. We can do nothing, nothing. So a branch that becomes disconnected from the tree or a trunk loses its lifeline. So If I remove a branch from this tree, the oranges, they're not going to grow anymore. Why? Well, because it's fake. (laughs) But if it were real, all right, and I were to cut the branch, the timer starts ticking on those oranges, right? Because they've been cut off from their lifeline. Now, it doesn't mean they immediately just turn black and die. You may have a bowl of oranges at home, and those oranges are, they're doing just fine. But eventually, right? Eventually, they're going to dry out, they're going to shrink, they're going to die, they're going to start to grow mold. And so what Jesus is saying is that when we are disconnected from him, we lose our lifeline. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have good qualities or you're not going to be able to do good things for other people. It doesn't mean that you can't carry around the appearance of a Christian for a while. But what it does mean is that a disconnected person, someone who is not connected to Jesus, who's not remaining, who's not abiding, will gradually, over time, lose the ability to put what you say you believe into action, which is missing the entire intent for our lives, the entire intent for the branch. Another observation. It says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Now, this is an invitation to pray, all right? And an invitation to ask God for things that we need. And I'm not going to lie, when I first read this, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can ask God for whatever I wish, and it's going to be granted. So God is like some type of cosmic genie, okay, that's just going to, you know, answer all of my requests with a yes, right? So the problem is this. One, I know God is not a cosmic genie. He is not. He does not exist to do my bidding. And two, I know there are some things that I might ask for that may not be good for me. 
You know, maybe you've prayed for some things in the past and it didn't happen, and then you look back and you're like, oh, thank God that didn't happen, right? Maybe you prayed to be with like some person and it didn't work out and you were so frustrated with God and then you see him a few years later and you're like, man, I am glad he said no, right? Dodged a bullet on that one. And, and it se- so it seems, you know, that the key to asking wisely and to being assured of getting what I wish for falls within this context of remaining or abiding, And so here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. The closer we get to him, the more in line our wills and our desires will be with his. The more more I will want to pray for what he wants for my life, and he will gladly give those things. And from this passage, it's super clear to me that, that what God wants is for fruit to develop in my life, in our lives, fruit that reflects his character, Most notably, the ability to love others as he has loved us. As my prayer life has changed, you know, I see myself praying, you know, less and less for things that I need God to do in my life. Yes, I still pray for those, but more it's it's God change me. God produce fruit in my life. And I'm going to tell you, those are some scary prayers. And one final observation is this. It says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So all of this pruning, all of this remaining and abiding brings us to the purpose of it, which is to bring great glory to my father. That is the ultimate goal. That happens through, through pruning, through remaining, and through abiding. So those are my observations. And again, your observations may be completely different. But I want to move on to the application part, okay? How do we apply what, what we've just observed. Because if you just observe it and you're inspired and you walk away, then it's, it's kind of pointless. So, so how do we apply this? But I want to start with a caution. Because one of the things that I loved about the book that I talked about earlier is the idea, the whole idea was understand and apply theology versus attachment theology. I'm going to unpack that here in a second. But, but one method is understand and apply theology. And that strategy assumes that we grow deeper in faith when we understand biblical principles and apply them to our lives. So that would look like this. You know, you, you read the Bible or you hear it taught, you understand what it means, and then by your own power, you go and try to apply that to your life. But my life, all right, my personal life was not changed by me trying to apply biblical truth in my life. It was changed and is still being changed by the presence of Jesus. Understand and apply assumes that just mere understanding leads to growth and change in our lives. But if this were true, then Satan and the Pharisees would have been the most transformed. Because Satan knew Scripture. He went toe-to-toe with Jesus in the wilderness, Scripture for Scripture. All right? The Pharisees, they knew their stuff, but they were not transformed. Understanding alone does not guarantee transformation, does not guarantee fruit in your lives. Jesus' disciples did not upend the ancient world because of their advanced understanding of biblical truth. They did it because they had been transformed by a close relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit now living inside of them. You see, spiritual growth depends on your closeness to Jesus, your remaining or abiding. If there's one thing you remember today, remember that. Because I think that's why so many follow Jesus half-heartedly. We're not connected to Jesus. We're not remaining. We're not abiding, which is the primary purpose of these verses. 
You and I, we have no natural ability to live how God calls us to live. I am not able to love my wife as Christ loves the church, which scripture calls me to do. But God has not left me to my own abilities. We're not able to keep our hearts pure. So God has given us new hearts and given us his spirit to convict, empower us, and enable us to change. We cannot force ourselves to give sacrificially with joy, but God can change that in us. We cannot love selflessly with endurance by trying harder, so God has given you the desire, the will, and the ability to continue on. And this happens by what? By abiding, by remaining. Jesus invites us to attach ourselves to him, and fruit is the result. So I'm pleading with you to take these applications cautiously and start always with your connection to Jesus. So the first one is this, that there is a true grapevine. So if there's a true grapevine, then there must be a false grapevine that I can attach myself to. So ask yourself, or better yet, you should probably ask someone else, what am I trying to draw life from, contentment, all right, purpose, meaning from other than Jesus? Could be a billion things, right? Could be your career, could be your family, could be your income, your retirement, could be your appearance. Here's how you know what it is. Simple test. Ask yourself, what is the one thing that if you didn't have it, you wouldn't know how you'd be able to move forward with your life? Is that the thing you're attaching yourself to? You know, if you're a young person, if you're a student, it could be different, right? It might be like, hey, I'm banking on this college. All right, that's going to make me somebody. You know, if I get um, the starting position on this team, if, if I get, you know, enough social media likes, if I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, if I just get locally famous, whatever that might be, that's the thing that's going to make everything okay, what am I trying to get my identity from? What am I trying to draw value from? And then I would ask you to pray this scary prayer. Lord, reveal to me the false grapevines in my life, and then, if necessary, prune me. And pruning sounds scary, right? Like I said, I don't know anything about plants, but if like a plant had vocal cords, I'll bet when you cut the branch, it would scream. Because I'm sure there is a traumatic um, physical reaction, chemical reaction when that happens because it probably doesn't like it and we don't like it either, but it's necessary. It's necessary for pruning. Now, there are times when circumstances, difficulties, trials, suffering in our lives are used by God to produce Christ's likeness, to produce fruit because God's primary purpose in our life is, and I know this is hard to hear, is not comfort. It's growth. It's Christ-likeness. The reality is that you're going to have trouble in this life. Jesus promised that. But will you <clears throat> stay close to Jesus and allow him to use those struggles in your life to produce fruit, or will you run away from it? Will you run to something else? Will you try to numb yourself or distract yourself from it? And I think with that in view, it's time to be honest with God and probably honest with ourselves. You know, are there attitudes, thoughts, motivations, words in our lives that probably shouldn't be there because they don't reflect the love of Jesus? You know, what's occupying my mind and my heart that shouldn't be there? Are there things that God is working out through struggles, through trials, through sufferings? And then a scary prayer to pray is this from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And I only know this by heart because I pray it most, most days of the week. It's search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I'm telling you that that is a scary, scary prayer because here's what I have thought. I have thought like, okay, God, I want you to reveal this into my life, you know, you and me together, and then, you know, you can change me and we're going to work it out, right? God's just going to sprinkle some Holy Spirit dust on me and like, we're going to... But what I have found is that Jesus primarily works through his body, which is other believers, other Christians. And so usually I'll do or say something really stupid, and then somebody who knows me, who loves me, usually it's my wife, will call me out on it. And what do I do? Well, first I deny it, and then I try to justify it, and then I try to defend it, and then I blame it on her, right? But in order to be pruned, we have to be willing to hear what God is saying to us through his people and through his word. And the next one, and I would say the focus of this is to remain. In my, in my opinion, this is the most important application. First of all, we have to remember who the vine is, and it is not you. It is not me. And a key step is to realizing that we cannot produce fruit by our own efforts, right? A, a tree can't just be like, all right, I got to make more oranges. If you try to learn the Bible and understand it and then just white-knuckle Christianity going to say, like, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to love people, it's not going to work. And this is a beautiful truth that should bring relief. You don't have to struggle and strain. Jesus does the work. Spiritual fruitness is, the spiritual fruit, fruitfulness that we desire is following Jesus. Followers of Jesus is outside of our control because Jesus emphasized that we Need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We need him. And that does not go well in a culture that says, I can do it myself. You can't tell me what to do. If you don't like the way I do it, then you can leave. I saw a meme that said, do I need Jesus to go to heaven? And it said, bro, you need Jesus to go to Walmart. <laughs> right? I do. And it's like, if you don't think you need Jesus, well, you're breathing his air right now. We need Jesus far more than we think. And, and you've got to go after this. This doesn't come by just seeking him on Sunday. I love this church, but I know that I'll never really see the heart of Jesus in a way that transforms my life by just coming here on Sunday morning. And you can't hide behind the excuse of we don't have time. I'll never be able to use an excuse. I am so afraid that when I stand before Jesus, he's going to pull up a pie chart of how much time I spent on my phone versus how much time I spent in prayer. It's going to be so embarrassing. We can't say that we don't have time. You have to make time. How would anyone else you relate to handle that excuse to say, oh, I don't have time? You've got to go for more. And so abiding, remaining in Jesus involves but is not limited to what we what we talk about at the church the row the circle the chair and go the row is worshiping together regularly but also maybe taking the next step and, and participating in some classes that we'll offer maybe it also means serving not just coming to keep a seat warm for an hour but also being a part of what we're doing it might be mean it might mean taking the next step and become a member it also talks about the circle. A circle is a small group of people, that, a small group community that you are a part of who know you, who love you, who can hold you accountable. And it's chair time, right? What we call chair time, your daily personal time. Because I've heard, you know, I think the best definition of what it means to abide in Jesus is to seek him daily and live according to his word. And so that's reading the Bible. It's praying. It's fasting. And not just from food, but from anything that's a distraction. It's silence, it's solitude, it's having time, it's having margin space, time away from distractions, it's confession to God and maybe someone else. 
And it's also go, being a witness through your words and actions to other people, personally, locally, regionally, and globally. Because a good Christian, a Christian will bear fruit. A real Christian will bear fruit. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but it depends on your connection to Jesus. If there's a lack of fruit in your life, be honest about your connection with Jesus. And I would say, don't make your, again, don't make your own assessment here. Ask someone close to you who cares enough to be honest with you. And then this prayer, Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. Please give me the wisdom and strength and humility to remain in you. And then the next one is to ask. Now, like, like most of us, like many of us, a lot of my prayers are thanksgiving. You know, thank you, God, for these things. But then they also are parts where there's asking, you know, things that I would like to have or like to see happen. But the reality is, is I don't know if a lot of those things are within God's will. And so I should continue to ask. We should continue to ask, but always with, with the spirit of God, your will be done in my life. And, and from this passage, I do know this, is that for God's glory and for my benefit and the benefit of others around me, he wants to see the fruit of Christ in my life, the fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So a whispered prayer that you may see is, Lord, please prune as your will, but develop that fruit in my life. And then lastly, glory, Right? My application is simply this. I want to bring glory to God in my life by loving even the most unlovely. Why? Because God has done that for me. So what do people around me see from me? What do they hear from me? How do I make them feel? Because as we bear, as we bear fruit, as we reflect love, grace, and power of Jesus into a broken, broken and hurting world that desperately needs it, we reflect Jesus' love and bring glory to the Father. And we will also show ourselves to be true followers of Jesus, right? How do people know that we're followers of Jesus? Not by doctrine, not by knowledge, not by, you know, an orange shirt, not by values, not by politics, not by church affiliation or social media posts or stances or piety, not by any of those things, but by love. Love. True agape love. Love that gives, love that helps, love that heals, love that forgives. Your purpose This is the bottom line. Your purpose in this life is to bring glory to God by loving him and loving others. That's it. There's no greater purpose. You couldn't wish for something more wonderful. And so we pray from Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for being with us. This week, go and remain and abide in Jesus. Have an awesome day. We'll see you next week.